Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of the K-Stream Podcast. I'm Jeff Kozlowski. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode 17, and the guest on the show for this episode is Jason Vaughn. He is the Director of Business Development at CVW Event Productions in the D.C. Washington, D.C. area. Uh, I actually know Jason through my first internship back in 2008. He was with the Aberdeen Ironbirds running their event production, uh, and I was I was an intern for the summer there. A lot of fun at the internship, met a lot of great people, including Jason. So wanted to have Jason on the podcast to talk about you know what it's been like over the last year working for an event production company, specifically one that has been more in you know the traditional uh, on-site uh, event productions at at hotels, big conferences, things like that, and and what the last year in COVID nineteen has been like for them, how they've been able to sort of successfully adjust to producing more virtual and hybrid events, uh, and we talk about kind of what things may look like moving forward um, for events and hybrid events and and things like that. So um, I guess without further ado, I won't say any more. Uh, here he is, Jason Vaughn. And oh, by the way, uh, this live stream was previously recorded on March 22nd, 2021. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the K-Stream Podcast, a live recording uh, episode 17 now. Uh, happy to be talking to a guest that I actually did my very first internship for way back in 2008, I believe. Yeah, spring to summer 2008, which is crazy. Um, he is Jason Vaughn. Jason, thank you so much for joining. It is a pleasure to see you again. Yes, Jeff. Absolutely, man. It's great to see you. It has been a long time, and thank you for showing my age right off the bat. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Any, anything for you. Um, yeah, that was... So, yeah, summer 2008. Um, it was an internship for the Aberdeen Ironbirds. So, you know, I, you spent quite a bit of time with them, and now you're at CVW Event Productions in Washington, Washington, yeah. D.C. But So tell me just, um, you know... Do a brief intro for yourself, kind sure. of kind of where you started and how you ended up where you are. Well, how I ended up where I was. Uh, actually, I ended up here before I ended up at, at Ripken Baseball and the Ironbirds. Um, went to Salisbury University back in the olden days. Uh, graduated in 2000. Everybody that age that has a background in sports like I did, I was a soccer player growing up and a lacrosse player. Uh, wanted to be on Sports Center. I thought I was going to be a sportscaster. Did that for my uh, my four years in, in college. And when I graduated, I realized those jobs are few and far between. And, and while I felt I was pretty decent at it, I kind of fell in love with production. At the very tail end of my undergrad, uh, we started broadcasting games. And we had a, a full-time employee who had just started that year um, who had an engineering background. And between him and, and the main engineer at Salisbury University where I went, um, I started broadcasting these games. I was heading up the student television department and kind of got the, the itch for, for engineering. So for my first two years out of college, the university hired me back to be um, a member of that department. And, and I got some great tutelage for those two years in video engineering, uh, a crash course, you would say. 
um, because it really was not my focus in school. And um, from there, uh, after two years, I came to back then Creative Video of Washington. Company has been in business for 40 years. Our, our owner and founder, Kirby White, uh, started this company back in 1981 um, doing slide projection work. And that was really the focus was projection and, and video support. Then we became a multi-camera company. We do a lot at the Kennedy Center and so forth. So I worked here uh, from in my first go around from 2002 to 2006. Um, and it was a lot of multi-camera work. We do a lot of convention work. Uh, back then, we weren't so much full service as we were just focused on the video projection, multi-camera work. And that's where my passion is, is multi-camera and live event stuff. Um, I got burned out pretty quick here because it was a very different company back then. It was really outside of our editors, in-house editors that we had. It was a two-person crew running a lot of these live events um, and working with freelancers and and it just burned me out. So I left for a year, um, just hung out. I had to have surgery on my shoulder. Um, and I was living back in Baltimore and a job opened up at, you know, Ripken baseball and the Ironbirds. And I was like, Hey, work for my childhood heroes. I'm a Baltimore boy through and through. And, uh, long story short, worked there from 2007, um, till 2000, right before 2013 season, I left. Uh, because I had an opportunity to come here and, and, you know, the company has grown quite a bit. We uh, had a young man named, uh, back then he was young, Matt Idemiller, who's our VP of production, took over. And he and I um, connected numerous times while I was in Aberdeen, whether I was re renting equipment or going and freelancing for them. Um, and he really grew the company into a full service event production company. So now we do audio, video, lighting, staging, uh, all those elements. And I decided to join back up in 2013 and been here since. I came back as a senior event producer, and now I'm the uh, weird title of director of business development, which means I'm supposed to do sales. I'm not a salesman by any stretch, but as you know, I'm somebody that likes to network and keep in touch with people, and I've used that as a tool. Um, I even brought another Aberdeen Ironbirds intern here, our main technical director, uh, Matt, Mike Zapolowitz, um, okay. was an intern for me in 2011, and actually then uh, worked for me as my number one assistant in 2012, took my job when I left, and then I poached him from Ripken. So I, I, that, uh, that family tree that you're a part of is, uh, is vast. So, yeah, I can imagine you probably, I mean, just the amount of jobs that, you know, go into a game day production with the Ironbirds. I mean, you bring in and, and you, you know, the, that was, by far, I think my favorite internship, I mean, just because, you know, I don't know if people realize, I know I didn't, what all goes into a game day production. I knew it was a lot. And, you know, even for a single A, um, you know, summer league yeah. team that, and, you know, Aberdeen, if folks aren't familiar with the Ironbirds, I mean, if you're in Aberdeen, like that's the thing to do in the summer, at least it was when we could do those yeah. things. And um, so that had the, the stadium is packed. You, there's just, as an intern, it's like a dream because especially if you're, you're interested in production, because you can do on air stuff, you could do audio, you could run the music in the stadium, you could direct a, a show. So it was it was a lot of fun. But I, I would imagine I mean, I know you met all kinds of people that came through there that probably came and went. But that's a lot of people you get to stay in touch with. Um, it is. And I and I don't stay in touch with enough of them, honestly. Um, but I, I'm very proud of that time. When I left there, I had 
45 employees that worked for me. And I was the only full-time staff member. So I ran press box productions, as you know, radio fell under my umbrella. By the end, the clubhouse attendant and the Orioles, I was became the Orioles liaison. So anything that happened in the clubhouse fell under my purview. So, um, but the internship was, was fantastic. I met so many great people. That was the best part of that job because it, it wore thin after a while and working for your childhood heroes <laughs> is not all it's cracked up to be, but um, the relationships we built within that press box. And like you talked about, it was opportunities. I loved, back then I loved teaching. I didn't realize it was going to be quite what it was when I took the job uh, mm -hmm. even, um, but we had sold out every single game in our existence leading up to my hiring. That was five seasons at that point. And they held me to a standard of, we want this to be the major leagues within a minor league scope. Um, you know, so we were doing full game broadcasts, as you remember, with a minimum of three camera switch. Um, a four camera switch actually. Uh, and then, you know, all the game entertainment on top of it, like you talked about music, radio. Uh, but it was, I sold kids every year on, Hey, you're going to get an opportunity. And it's going to be hands-on because I cannot do it all. And I proved that <laughs> mightily of <over> those <laughs> seven, seven seasons, but um, we, it was a blast and like, it was loose. You, you'll probably remember. And it got much, even more loose at, uh, after you left, but um, we had a great group of people and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I, I will always think back fondly to those years. I'm, I'm sure. And, and I mean, thinking of like how you have to be able to loosen up every so often, man, I, I remember um, again, you know, I was the, the internship with the Ironbirds was my introduction to game day production um, for any kind of sport. And, Man, I, I just remember the sometimes the tired look on on people's faces in in prep for the season, sure. and just you know, I know, I know, I, I'm sure you can couldn't even count the number of hours that you probably spent in that press box, but that's I mean, it just so much went into that, um, so so many elements to it, and and I would imagine, um, you know, I, I remember at times it was it was it was necessary and needed to, to loosen up in that press box and, and play the, you know, play the fun music, cheer, even though you're not supposed to cheer for the team, cheer for the team, yep. you know, all that, all those moments are, are needed. Absolutely. And long season, long season, but that's, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, going from baseball to live events, um, it's the same lifestyle. It's a lot of long hours up until the pandemic. I mean, pandemic has made life, super easy for us. I feel like I'm white gloving every day because in a live event, you know, we're going into a, to a show either the day before or early that morning and completely setting up the look and feel of a gala event or a conference and convention and, and so forth. That's what our history is that, and we're leaving, you know, everyone comes for a two hour event or a three hour event. Mm -hmm. um, but that whole day ends up being 16, 17 hours for the production side of it. And then you're right back to packing the next truck and going to the next one. So, yeah, I was going to say with at least with, you know, the baseball team, you were you had your setup. Once things were set up, at least, you know, you didn't really have to move the cameras or, you know, you weren't you weren't breaking down and setting up every mm -hmm. single night throughout the summer. But I'm, I know, you know, and so, yeah, talk a little bit about um you know, one, I guess one big difference uh, that you mentioned, um, when, when you were able to do, uh, live events or, or, um, you know, live event production is the, it's not just the event. There is, um, a lot of setup and breakdown that goes with it. Um, but you know, what are some of the big differences from going from the sports world to, 
you know, which the, the company you're with now. Yeah, it, it, there's not too many tremendous differences. Sports can be a lot more fun. Um, that being said, Aberdeen was never good at baseball in all those seven years I was there. So you weren't watching good baseball. These are kids right out of uh, college or high school. You know, most of them names you would never have heard uh, reach the big leagues. But um, it's all storytelling. And that was the biggest thing um, with sports um, and within live production. I mean, I have a background in broadcast. Broadcast to me is live events. Um, I've never been good at capturing video and recording it and then editing it and spitting it out. I felt it it loses that element of realness to me. So I've always loved telling a story through live events. So whether it's baseball, you know, you know, the PA announcer and what they're doing, um, the video board and the tool that it can be, or the broadcast. For very first webcasting I ever did and learned about webcasting was with the Ironbirds. I mean, it was with Weirpkin Baseball because minor league baseball, that was their tool to get their product out to the public. Um, you know, there aren't many minor league teams that have broadcasting partnerships, maybe locally in news, but at the Ironbirds level, it's not. So, you know, MILB.TV was the tool. So that was the very first time I ever, you know, <laughs> plugged the camera into a computer and pushed it out. It was old Adobe Flash uh, <laughs> products, and and which again shows my age since it's, that's now gone. But it's all telling a compelling story. The tools for me are just different than a normal uh, video producer. You know, I use those screens to, to amplify the messaging. So my whole thing, is, whether it's sports, it's telling that great story of, of the game. Um, sponsors are a big portion of it. Uh, it's money behind it. You know, got to get that messaging out. It's the same thing for live events. You know, it's telling a core message uh, to folks. It's normally has a financial backer behind it that's expecting something. And you're also trying to bring money in. And it's, just, it's the same business uh, when it's scaled down. But sports can be a lot more fun. It's interesting you mentioned about the um, just live versus like pre-recorded, edited, produced video, and just you know the the authenticity. I, I, it comes out so much more in a live production, and I've found you know I've been doing live streams almost daily to to social channels um, for my full time employer, mm-hmm. and and sometimes when the when the guests can't make it or can't do something live since we have a set time we go live every single day if they need to do something pre-recorded um you know i'm always sure to say all right well we need to do it live to tape then because we you know before putting that in place it was just such a difference in you know you that you lose something when when it's um when people know that they're they're uh, being recorded, that they have an opportunity to correct something if they make a mistake. Whereas live, you know, I feel like you see more personality, you get more emotion, and and um, it's just more it's more authentic because because you do you just kind of have to if you screw up a word or something you just have to keep going and and um, you know that's it's not a big deal. I mean, in this virtual world with all the virtual events we're doing, we're dealing with that on a day to day basis with our clients of. Well, we can edit out this ooms and ahs and no. Okay. If we were not in a pandemic, we would be at the building museum or the Kennedy center and you'd be delivering that mess, same message up on stage. And if you stumble, that stumble is there. You really should treat this the same way. So I love the live to tape analogy you mentioned, because that's how 
I push all of my clients. If we have to pre-tape, I want live to tape. I don't, you know, I don't want it over edited because they're not thinking about continuity of shots and, and having a cutaway shot. So then they come to me and go, well, can you fix this? You know, I, I stopped here. I was like, well, no, you have the same camera angle. So you're going to have a jump cut or you're going to have a cross dissolve. Um, you know, if you had just stuck with it, it wouldn't be a big deal. You had, we still have the opportunity to do multiple takes, but we tell people we get a lot of panel discussions that pre-record <laughs> unless something drastic happens. You're going all the way through. Uh, you know, we'll tell you what the drastic thing is. I can't have you stop and go, but yeah. Yeah, it, it does. Um, that's a good point too about the, cause if, they, if you, if you, if they want to redo something, like you said, well, there's not much to cut away to, or, or uh, like a variety of shots to, to switch between. Um, so when you, you know, backtrack about a year or so ago when when the pandemic hit and kind of threw the world into chaos um you know i'm sure there was a brief time where you guys were just kind of where everything kind of shut down but you know what was it like for your company you know when covid hit and you kind of realized you had to shift a bit to the to this virtual world what was going on well it was a scary moment and it took us probably two or three weeks to realize it was a real moment um that this was going to be more than just a hiccup in in things in a in a month away a month opportunity so we we struggled um like everybody in our business did really wrapping our heads around what to do um after that kind of first month we took the first month month and a half to do a lot of of um continued education you know, that time we, we we knew we wanted to keep everybody employed um, as long as we could, because uh, so many of our, our partner companies or, or competitors furloughed right away. So we really challenged our people. You got to you got to find things to keep you busy. And we have a great crew here. And, you know, it's only about 10 people within our, our company and organization, mm -hmm. but everybody really buckled down. But it took us about a month and a half to kind of realize we need to really step to the cliff and jump off in terms of the virtual event stuff. We are, a, we are a video company by, by trade, our history, obviously being creative video of Washington, but outside of webcasting a lot of events and occasionally doing a remote call into a live event, mm -hmm. which was only a few times a year and always a struggle. We didn't live in this, this realm. So, but we had the tools to do it. You know, we've got great broadcast switchers. Um, we, you know, robotic cameras. We've got enough computers here to make this happen. So um, by kind of dumb luck, my wife was a teacher for a long time at a school in uh, in Crownsville, Maryland called Indian Creek Schools, private school. Um, and a number of her family members still work there. And I was having a conversation with them in the, about their commencement and, and so forth. And middle of the night, I woke up and I was like, you know what? I can pull this off because we were seeing so many people stepping forward, a lot of fly-by-night companies, people that lived in this realm um, and other event companies trying to come up with those virtual commencement ideas. And it was, you know, we'll put a picture of your student up with, you know, description and we'll announce their name. I was like, you know what? This school only had about 80 seniors. We're going to make sure every single one of them is live on camera to receive their diploma. You know, we're not going to let them speak, but, you know, they can wave and, and it, it's not taped. We're going to make all 80 of them cross the stage and uh, challenge the team. And we came up with an answer to that. It was really the 
first show we did completely internal. We had had one previous show to that where a company out of New York that we partner with a lot on webcasting at the Kennedy Center came down to do some virtual stuff on the back end for us. And we watched them and I was like, you know what? I think we can pull this off. We, we invested in a few tools, a lot of, you know, black magic converters that, you know, we probably poo-pooed six months before, but um, we looked at the opportunity and said, okay, let's do this. And uh, we pulled it off on a Saturday. We had uh, 20, well, we had 12 computers set up. We had four people um, and we had two breakout rooms. We put the odd number and the even number. Um, we numbered everybody in odds and evens and they were just pinning people full screen and we kind of figured out the science behind it and since then um we've i want to say we mastered it because no one masters this there's there's a million ways to pull this off there's a lot of great companies uh, a lot of them that you've talked to already there's a million ways to do this stuff yeah. but i think we have found what works best for us with the tools that we have with our team and their knowledge base because we all had broadcast backgrounds and we treat it more as a broadcast side of things, um, going through a true broadcast switcher. Every show that we do, you know, there's a computer assigned to uh, a virtual uh, virtual presenter. So they're full screen. We've, you know, invested in enterprise accounts with Vimeo to make sure there's redundant webcasting because Vimeo didn't have that capability um, unless you pay for the enterprise. Uh, Zoom's become a good friend of ours. Um, yeah. Yeah, they've unlocked the full HD 1080 ca capacity for us because we've been doing so much with them. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a never ending learning session. Let me tell you that it's every day there's a new challenge. You know, eventually somebody came to me and like, how do you ca you know we want to do closed captioning? Mm. And I've done plenty of closed captioning for broadcast, but how do we make this work remotely when a captioner doesn't want to come in? And we figured that out. Prompting, you know, slide remote slide mm. control. You know, it's all those questions that now everybody's figured out the answers to, but you know, it took a little work. It's truly amazing in the last year, just how the companies that existed pre COVID enhanced their offerings and how many companies have just come out of nowhere with solutions to these problems. It's just like, I heard a great quote the other day. Somebody said something like we've advanced three years in 12 months um when it comes to live production i mean i was going to ask you about some of the tools you you brought on but it sounds like you know uh, you you rattled off a few and um any any particular so you know it sounds like the graduation um that's something certainly to be proud of because that kind of kick-started things it was a catalyst yeah yep and any any particular projects though in the last year that you're particularly proud of well there's there's always a We've done 115 now since the pandemic wow. started of different sizes and, and, and scopes. And a lot of those are repeats. Um, so all of them, pulling them all off, you know, there's always a knock on wood at the end of it because, yeah. you know, it's been the biggest thing is figuring out risk mitigation. And that's the biggest thing for our clients is, you know, well, what if they disconnect? What is this? And so, well, we, we try to come up with redundancies and everything we do and, and so forth. But to answer your question, the... <laughs> I don't want to leave any of my clients out, but I did a show uh, for the Atlantic Council here in D.C. It's normally a, a international event from Abu Dhabi they hold each year in January. I got a call two days before Christmas break that they were looking for help. It started out with just some help at their studio. Um, but then in the production of this event, that was the first week of January. 
So mind you, we have, or I guess it's going into the second week of January. We have the holiday break in the middle of all of this. And they come to us and they're like, oh, it's a four day event. We are going to do it around the clock. So of 59 straight hours, we were on producing content for 47 and a half of those hours. Um, I wish I had the the thing in front of me I, to pull it up. Like the stats were ridiculous. There was 190 presenters that came across all panel discussions of sizes, anywhere from two person, you know, to eight person. It was during the inauguration. So I'll tell you, it's actually was, it was into the third week because it was on an inauguration was in the middle of this event. So we actually broadcast the inauguration with two folks from this group speaking about the inauguration. Mm. Prince Charles was one of the folks on the uh, <laughs> amongst many dignitaries. Um, but yeah, that was a, an intense one because our crew worked around the clock for four straight days um, not leaving the office, you know, to pull that one off. Um, and it was, it was intense and honestly really no hiccups, you know, which is rare for a two hour event where you don't have anything you can kind of report. And it was, it was a great team of, uh, effort. Their team was fantastic and, and we had a blast doing it, but it was, it was a challenge from the point they called till, you know, we wrapped that production. So. That's amazing. And was that, I mean, was that fully virtual? Fully virtual. And you got, and you, so you guys are operating all this out of your office headquarters yep. and everybody else is elsewhere. Correct. Yep. And there, they were challenged with something very interesting. Their office was in the middle of the closed out zone for DC because of the inauguration, because mm. of, of everything going on with that. They had to pivot and produced their uh, main host from his home in South <laughs> Southeast DC. So we helped build a studio there, um, you know, had to fight some of the limitations of, of home network um, and so forth, but it, it went off without a hitch. It was a fantastic program and, and a testament to a client that was open to suggestion and, and, and really partnering on something. Um, our crew here, kudos to them, but it was, it was wild. From start to finish, that's all I can really say about it. It was intense to have that many people come through, um, and it was and and that one they handled all their own tech checks. Normally, we you know we want to do technical checks. They they handled all their own tech checks on the 190 people, and they did a darn good job of it. So, yeah, I guess so. No hiccups. That's awesome. Um, are you doing? Are you guys doing much in the way of hybrid events? I'm you know, starting to see things. As as people get vaccinated, of course, and, and people start um, being a little more comfortable having s stuff in person. Um, are you have you guys done any of that yet? Yeah, we've started. It's it started. Uh, I had my first virtual in December prior to the holidays. We actually had one pretty early in this up in Philadelphia, uh, a medical conference where they had 10 or 15 total people in the room and then uh, 200 viewers at home and they did remote productions. So um, remote presentations, they did pre-recorded presentations and then they had live presentations from that space. So, and breakout rooms um, one of the afternoons. So we coordinated that all from uh, a hotel in Philadelphia um, and we will be doing that one again in Chicago. So those are starting to trickle in. Obviously, our our studio space here uh, is getting used now uh, more than it had in a long time. We have a small like 20 by 25 foot uh, insert stage that 
you know, had a chroma key wall and we've always had one in our existence and wasn't getting a whole lot of use. Uh, you know, I, I, we invested in a modular background that I have behind me and so in, you know, our large inventory of monitors hung them up and, uh, now we're starting to get uh, some of our clients trickling to make this their hub uh, wow. for their host, at least, while still having a lot of their their folks uh, attend remotely. But it's only going to grow. I think within the next year, you're going to see the hybrid model. And then I think for the next handful of years, webcasting, you know, the live event is going to be a tool that a lot of people weren't taking advantage of in the live event industry Some were, but not nearly as many as I think are going to be happening now. Um, just for those folks that, you know, still don't feel, you know, safe uh, in those large, large crowds. As a producer, uh, any, like what, what challenges does a hybrid event um, present as opposed to something that is, is fully virtual? I tell you the biggest thing right now that we're dealing with is internet connections. Cause a lot of these folks, uh, event producers are used to going into hotel ballrooms and working with hotels and the live event company, you know, privately owned company versus the hotel AV side of things has been a battle for, for years and years of, you know, they're protective of, of their space and, and trying to find ways to limit an outside AV company coming in. We're always looking for ways to help our clients lower budgets and expect, you know, and work within those expectations now because they've spent a year without getting work, just like we all have. Um, they're very protective of of their space, so event producers have to be very cognizant of internet connections because that's where they're going to try to make their money. If they're not using their hotel AV, their internet connection costs can be something exorbitant, especially if you request what I think is a pretty nominal speeds, you know, a twenty five up speed. If you're doing two streams and, and some, uh, you know, re remote conferencing, you, that's not a lot to ask for, but they're exorbitant prices. So it's controlling that expectation, coming up with other options, whether it's a bonded cellular solution, like a live view or one of those types of things, um, just to give your, your clients options. If they're not, if they don't have the leverage with the hotels that they're used to. So. Yeah. Any, um, and, and have you found that, in, in some of the hybrid events you've done that, um, you know, folks tuning in remotely as opposed to in person are getting, you know, obviously I think there's an expectation when you tune, tune into an event remotely, at least right now, but being able to give the audience a similar experience to what those in person are getting. Sure. It's always a, you know, a concern. And, but like I said, I try to, and this is my personal feelings on it. It's all about the storytelling I tell my clients, focus on your content. I will focus on getting that message out to everybody in the best form I can within time, budget, and all the normal constraints you face in this. And it's a, I'm I harken back to this Philly show, having so many different experiences. I think what was nice is we had remote presenters. So we had presenters remoting from, uh, you know, remoting in and presenting to the people in the live audience there as in home. I think as it becomes more hybrid, I, it's on producers and, and, and production people to make sure those at home experiences are as interesting as they can be. So those people aren't sitting at home going, oh, man, this isn't for me anymore. This is all about those folks. So making sure the content serves dual purposes. Um, and the nice thing is that's what we were doing in Aberdeen. This is what we were doing when we webcasted an event, you know, from the Kennedy center, it's got to serve a dual purpose. And, 
I always, I think I mentioned this to you, you know, when we were producing things for the video board, I said, we never want to do a live shot up to the video board at, at Aberdeen because the folks in the stands are seeing a better view of the field than what we're showing them 400 feet away uh, <laughs> with a wide shot. We want close up. So it's the same rules when we do an event production, we're doing IMAG to a large screen. We want close ups and so forth. It's almost on a producer. We produce a lot of our shows where it's a dual switch. You know, we'll do a two ME switch where the switch going to the folks at home is completely different than what's going to the screens. So the screens may have a close up and I might have a wide shot at home because I want those people at home to feel like they're seeing this grandiose view and not just a small window. So that's a lot of the things that, that production companies will have to take into consideration is, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean because it doesn't always fit. doesn't mean having two switches, certain shows that's got to happen, but, you know, coming up with ways to make sure within the budgets that you can deliver that experience. Yeah. And even things like making sure, you know, if like, if there's a Q and a portion that you're not just giving the folk, you're not passing around a mic to the folks in the in-person audience mm -hmm. that you have to find a way to take remote questions, sure. you know, that audience as well but that's all awesome info um jason i don't want to take up much more of your time um where can people learn more about about the the company sure well uh, cvwevents.com is our website um social media wise <laughs> there was a guy that had cvw events on uh, twitter and i couldn't get it from him, but at cvw event prod p-r-o-d uh on most of our social channels um and then I'm at Jason at uh, CVWEvents.com uh, if anybody ever had any questions or needs uh, from me. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much, Jason. Uh, any Anything else, you know, that, that worth mentioning as far as, you know, event production in this COVID-19 world, anything you're, you're expecting, um, you know, or, or got your, got your eye on, or have we talked about it all? <laughs> Certainly never talked about it all. Uh, well, yeah, I tell you what, I, I'm excited. Uh, I get my first uh, shot uh, Thursday. I'm excited for the opportunity to get back together with with my clients, with um, with events, getting back to a, a you know a ballpark. I have a seven year old son. I know you've got uh, some young ones, and 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 my four year old daughter giving them the experiences that uh, that they deserve. Yeah. So I'm excited for it to slowly make its way out. I'm I'm proud of my industry. I got to tell you that because. Um, <laughs> I, I was reading something interesting today. They were the, we were the first ones to shut down, and it looks like we're going to be the last ones to really ramp ourselves all the way back up. And there's a lot of resiliency in those people. So we were very fortunate. You know, we had the video history. So many of these companies um, don't have that infrastructure in place and weren't able to to pivot the way we were. So um, I'm glad a lot of them are holding on because you know competition is what makes the uh, makes us all better. Um, and, but lastly, Jeff, I just want to say kudos to you for the, for the podcast and, and taking this on and, and doing a passion project like this. I don't know if you remember Maverick, the uh, PA announcer, when you were, yeah. in, we used to have a podcast together many, yeah. many years ago. And I know how daunting and challenging this is. So congratulations. I'm 17, 17. You, you got to get to, I think 56 to catch us. So. 56. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm taking a baby step. Somebody told me <laughs> rarely people get to 10. Um, so I got, you know, I got that milestone. I'm feeling good. So the next one's 56. That's a nice job. Yeah. There you go. There's a challenge <laughs> for you. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jason. It is, it's been a pleasure catching up. Um, and Hey, you know, it, it seems like things are changing 
daily almost. So we'll, we'll find a reason to get you back on. Absolutely, Jeff. Any, anytime, man. I'd love to. That's it for this one, folks. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, and of course, would love for you to check out more episodes as they come out. If you want to learn more about me or the podcast, feel free to visit jeffkozlowski.com. Thanks so much. Be safe, be well, and take care, everybody.